Life Center. It is so good to be with you. Who did you bring to church today? You can bring anybody you want to our services. You can just send them the link that we have for our Zoom service. Invite them to come to church with you, even if it is digitally online at this time. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite to Alpha? Uh, who are you going to invite to in, into a relationship with Jesus? That is uh, a part of our mandate as, as uh, followers of Jesus is to bring others into that same type of relationship that we have with him. So I hope you'll pray into that and who can you invite. Well, again, it's good to uh, see you sort of online and be a part of the community here and worship together. Um, winter finally showed up, I guess, uh, on this weekend. We, we got a bunch of snow, didn't we? And uh, hopefully you're not too uh, sore from having to dig yourself out because that snow was heavy. That was really heavy snow. And if you don't have a snowblower or somebody coming and cleaning your driveway, just make sure that you are being careful as you dig out from the snowfall. But we know that when snow comes and when all the snow hits the roads and everything and it gets really greasy and slick and everything like that, when we're driving, all of a sudden, there's hidden bumps, there's hidden potholes. The potholes that were visible before now kind of get glossed over with that, that covering of slush and snow, and you don't notice it until you're driving along, and bam, bam, you hit that bump, and then you're like wincing because you know that that, that wasn't good for your car. Uh, and you're sliding around a little bit more than you're used to maybe, and all of a sudden hitting curbs when you're going around a corner or, or things like that become uh, a lot more, um, they happen a little bit more often in the winter, especially when the roads get a little greasy, doesn't it? It can do a number on your car. And if you've ever driven a car with the alignment off, um, the car works properly, right? You get in it, you turn it on, you you, you start driving, everything uh, goes. But if, if you're paying attention, you realize you're kind of fighting the car and its direction a little bit. The car kind of wants to veer to one side or the other, depending on how you've knocked those wheels slightly out of alignment. It wants to go one way or the other, and you have to kind of course correct with your steering wheel. And if you notice, your steering wheel isn't quite just dead center. It's just a little off but you're going straight, and you just have to fight it. And sometimes you don't even notice it until you maybe for a split second, and again, we, this isn't safe driving habits, but you take your hands off the wheel for a second. You're on a, a straight road, and you, you know you, you shouldn't need to steer anywhere, but go straight because your car is going straight. But then you take your hand off the wheel for a second, and the car immediately starts pulling one way or the other. Your alignment is off. And at least in part, it's crucial for our hearts, not just our vehicles, this alignment. Because our, our hearts can get out of alignment as well. Our hearts pull in the direction desired, not just the direction intended. In the direction desired, not just the direction intended. Now, eh, lately, you may, you may have decided to go to the store for milk. You need to go to the, the corner store, the shopper's drug mart, or whatever you would go to for milk in your neighborhood. And instead of getting milk, you came home with chocolate, chips, ice cream, and maybe no milk. 
right? The desires, you went with an intention. You had a desired intention going to Shoppers Drug Mart, and all, all of a sudden, there was a desired intention that took its place because they always stick the milk and the good, healthy stuff behind all the treats and all the snack food and everything. You have to go past it all to get to the healthy stuff and then make your way again back past the, the treats and stuff like that after you maybe have grabbed your healthy stuff to the, the checkout. They do that on purpose, don't they? Because they know your desired intention can veer you off from where you want to go. But Jesus said it way more eloquently than I can. He said it like this in Matthew 6. He said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today, let's just think of our hearts kind of like our vehicles, kind of like the car we're driving and its alignment and its direction that it's taking us in. Specifically when, like I said, it comes to that alignment, we want to address a couple of significant factors which can cause heart issues or cause that heart alignment to be affected. And those are affections and afflictions. Don't you just love preachers and their, their alliteration? Everything has to alliterate, doesn't it? Affections and afflictions. It should be easier to remember. Something like that. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Samson. And he was called by God. He actually was one of the, the 12 judges of Israel. And he was gifted with unbelievable, supernatural, physical strength. Like beyond normal strength. And so, uh, and here's the thing. Every strength, though, because it can loom so large in our lives. And in Samson's life, his physical strength loomed very large. And like anything that large, it can cast a shadow. And for Samson, because he was so strong, he soon began to think that he didn't need anyone. He could do everything himself. He didn't need an army behind him when he went off to battle because he could just pick up a donkey's jawbone, and he could clean out the enemy. He forgot what the source of his strength was. Soon, all in his life felt like it was because of him. And he lived like God wasn't really present, nor that God really cared what he did. Because he was so strong, nothing could stand in his way. And so while being that unbelievably strong, he, he distanced himself from others because he didn't need them. He had no healthy relationships or accountability. He began living from his shadow and using his strengths for his own purposes. His heart began to pull. His heart began to pull in the desired, in, or the, not from the, the direction intended, but to the desired direction. He switched in it because his, his, the directed intention, the direction inten intended that God had for him as a judge of Israel was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Like I said, he was one of the judges of Israel. And if you know the character of Samson in your Bible, and you can read about him in the book of Judges in your Bible, 
if you know anything about this character, you would stop and you go, wait, he was actually a judge? I thought he was just a really strong guy who went around like doing superhero stuff. He was actually a judge of Israel. And that's what he was called to do. But instead of that direction intended for his life, he had a desired direction that pulled him away. His affections began to pull his heart. And he ends up falling in love with his enemy. See, Samson was what we call a Nazarite, which meant because of a vow he had taken, there was specific things that he, unlike others, could not do. And through his life, we see a consistent pattern of unfaithfulness to that, that vow, of his direction pulling away from what its intended purpose was. Whenever he had an affection, he pursued it seemingly without repercussion. It didn't seem like his choices had an immediate effect other than giving him what he wanted. And so Samson had been living away this way for a while. And we pick up his story in Judges chapter 16, where it says this, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And again, a little bit farther down, it says, And this, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines, who were adversaries of the Israelites, came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. You see, like I had said, Samson's purpose, his, his, uh, the, the direction, the intended direction that God had for his life was to subdue the Philistines and to keep Israel free from their oppression and from their harassment. And so he had been humiliating them for quite some time and uh, toying with them, basically, and they wanted revenge. They wanted to get back at him for making them look like fools. And so Delilah, he falls for Delilah, one of the enemy. And in Hebrew, Delilah means night. And Samson's name, ironically, means child of the sun or, 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 or is tied with the sun. So in this poetic yet tragic sense, the sun had fallen in love with darkness. Samson is blind to where his affections have taken him. And here's the thing. Straying from God happens one step at a time. Rarely does it happen in one single step or one moment that we find ourselves going from the, on the path of God to all of a sudden we're going in a totally different direction. Normally, it's small, incremental, little moments, little decisions that we find ourselves going in a different direction. Samson plays with Delilah three times, not realizing at the same time that he too is being played until he finally shares the truth in verse 17. And because his affections had wrecked his alignment with God in God's intended directions for him, it would be fatal for him. Listen to what it says. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. 
I can't say the same thing. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and like any other man. And because of his misaligned affections, he is truly blind to the source of his strength. It wasn't really his hair that made him strong. It was God. But he had lost sight of God, and his alignment had taken him far from God. Listen to what uh, happens next. And she said, this is Delilah speaking, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And she had said this a number of times. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other times and shake myself free. And she had tied him up in fresh ropes and he just snapped them like they were dental floss. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Hmm. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. We see that even though Delilah had tried before to bind him up, he assumed that he could take care of things himself. And isn't that the case often with us? We have allowed our affections to take us out of alignment with God, yet we've either soothed ourselves or convinced ourselves, living in the shadow of the strength that we perceive is ours, and we can't see that we've wandered from God's intentions and aren't moving towards his preferred future or in his grace and when we feel like, oh, I can just do what I've always done before, and all of a sudden we realize we're powerless against the enemy's attack. We're powerless against where our affections have taken us. Affection seeks to align our hearts with indifference towards God. That's truly what Samson did. His, his affection towards God became indifference as he felt the strength was all his, he felt that he could be Israel's deliverer. And when he did so, when he put that faith in what he thought he could do, instead of what God was doing through him, it was fatal for him. What can we do with the affections of our own hearts? How do we guard ourselves against this, seeing this happens in our own lives? Well, number one, you can pursue your relationship with God. What we saw in Samson's life was he pursued immediate gratification. He pursued uh, feeling good in the moment and feeling powerful and feeling like he was in control versus pursuing his relationship with God. So we can do that. We can, we can set our eyes on God and pursue him above anything else. And not... And while we may say, well, that should be it. That, that, can, that can be it. But here's the thing. Because we have blind spots, because we don't always get it right, because we can go with our best intentions, but it really be our desired intentions instead of God's intentions, we need this. Number two, we need to cultivate friendships where you can hear truth spoken in love. Cultivate friendships where you can hear truth spoken in love. 
Now, these aren't the people that are going to point out every single time you trip up. And they're going to make sure you know every single time you trip up that you failed and that you're no good and you're not doing well. Those aren't the people I'm talking about. Because they're not building you up. They're not esteeming you. They're not helping you get closer to God. They're showing you the wedge between you and God in a way that's driving you farther from him. What I mean is the people that in love can come to you and ask you and challenge you and say, are you are you really heading in the direction that God has for you? Are you really pursuing what God has for you in this moment? Is that what you heard God speak to you? Are you, are you sure you're following him the way he asked you to in that moment? They're, they're questioning you, asking you. They're pulling you closer to God's intended direction for you versus your desired uh, direction. The third thing you can do is this. Consistently remind yourself that you were created for more, that you have spiritual gifts, a ministry of reconciliation, and a God-ordained mission as a part of the body of Christ. Think about it. We were saved so we could do the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Remind yourself that God has something more for you. And when you always look at what God has for you uh, yet to come and what God has for you to walk into, rather than just resting in what you have in front of you right now, it changes your perspective because you live with this intentionality and anticipation that God has more. Not just more for you, but more through you. And living with that anticipation and expectation that God wants to move in your life when you're pursuing your relationship with God and when you're allowing friends to cultivate that honesty in your life, the combination of those three things can help keep your affections from going in desired direction versus God's intended direction. And if you want to read more about the life of, of Samson and Judges, you can do so, especially how uh, faithful and gracious God was towards him, uh, even though his life played out like a tragic uh, Shakespearean play. So we know the affections of our heart can pull us away, but so can the afflictions in our lives. Now, Jesus, he had a cousin uh, who many of you guys would be aware of. His name was John. And Jesus said of John this, he said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So obviously Jesus has a high opinion of his cousin. And if a brief synopsis of, of what we know about about John is this, that John the Baptist, uh, he was that. He was a baptizer. He would, he would call people to repentance in God. He would declare that, that God was wanting to come close and that we needed to uh, renew ourselves and make ourselves right before God because God was coming. And so he would baptize people in water to, to symbolize that renewal. And he fulfilled a couple of Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. We know that as a child in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, John leapt when Mary uh, came close and she was pregnant with Jesus. So even in the womb, there was a supernatural hand on John to lead the way for Jesus. And as a man, John saw Jesus not just as a cousin, not as a relative or a really good guy, not just as a teacher, uh, a wise man. He said he was the Messiah. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knows who Jesus is, and John is preparing the way. And 
he's living this life that's, that's all geared. Everything in his life was geared to preparing the way for Jesus. And as he does so, he knows that as Jesus rises in influence, as Jesus begins to unveil who he is to the people, that he's going to need to decrease. Because he had quite the following, and he was creating quite the stir in Israel. But he knew that as Jesus stepped into his future, that John's future was going to need to fade away to the side. Now one day... John was speaking truth to power. And after speaking up for righteousness as it pertains to marriage, uh, you see, Herod, who was the puppet king in Israel for Rome at the time, he was sleeping with his brother's wife, Herodias. And uh, because of, he had called him out on that, because uh, Herod was, was a Jew and was supposed to be living by Jewish principles and, and ethics, and, and that was... That was against uh, Mosaic law. And because he was called out on him, uh, Herod had John put in prison to shut him up, to keep him quiet uh, from making, uh, making him look bad. Now, Herodias had a daughter. And at a party that she threw for Herod, um, and again, Herodias was, she too was very upset at what was going on between uh, John the Baptist and, and King Herod, and, and she's furious about it and wants her revenge as well. And so she has her daughter dance for Herod. And because he is obviously a man of corrupt character and um, not strong morals, this daughter of his brother's wife who is dancing for him, he's filled with lust because of this. And he promises her up to half of his kingdom. But at the request of her mother, whispers in her ear and says, this is what you need to ask for. She asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And then without a trial, uh, John is executed and his head is brought to her. Now, if we roll back the tape on that just a little bit, we know that John is in prison. John is being afflicted because of his stand for righteousness, because of him preparing the way of Israel. What God had intended, the direction that God had intended on his life was to call Israel to repentance, all of Israel, including King Herod. And he's, he's facing this profound affliction, so much so. Watch what he says in Matthew 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus or of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? See, John had been in prison for a while. There was, there was a gap. It wasn't like he was put in jail and then uh, immediately executed. He was in jail for a while. And, and while he's in jail, he's waiting for Jesus to, to uh, uh, begin this kingdom on earth. And while he's there and he's, he's being afflicted and he's stuck in jail and not being able to live what he thought would be the desired or the directed intention of his life, these afflictions are starting to get to him. The hope that John had had in Jesus, the belief that had led him to live in the wilderness, to wear camel hair and to eat locusts and honey, these have been jarred by the circumstances that he had found himself in at this time. You see, affliction can cause even the most devout to experience doubt. Affliction can cause even the most devoted to experience doubt. 
And while affection seems to draw us and woo us out of alignment, often the side effect of a specific affliction, when life is unfair, it has this jarring that leads us out of alignment. When what God requires doesn't match how you want to live, the life that he's called you to, the sacrifices that that will take, when it doesn't match what you want to live like, when what God does doesn't match what you desire him to do. When you expect that maybe when you pray to God and you ask him for something and you think he's going to answer you in a certain way and he doesn't, it can jar you and it can afflict you. This type of affliction causes this, this destabilizing doubt in our lives. James says it like this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wow. How do we live without doubting then? How do we go on or ask without doubting? The key here is that the double-mindedness. Double-minded means that we are torn between God and this world. We want them both. We want both. We want our desired direction and God's intended direction. But often we can only have one. And realistically, we want our desired uh, direction to be in full alignment with God's intended direction. John, the greatest according to Jesus, who had been in prison for over a year, which means no weekly worship in a synagogue, no living in community, no spiritual friendships or his discipleships, his disciples living in in that unity. All he has is to hear reports about what Jesus is doing or maybe not doing. He's not experiencing it for himself. He's living in that moment when doubt starts to creep in. And unlike Samson, it isn't his affection that has brought him to this place. It's a trial that is out of his control. It's an affliction. Maybe, maybe you have, been, have an affliction that seems out of your control, that seems to be bumping you and knocking you and causing you to feel out of alignment with God's intended direction for your life. Affliction seeks to align our hearts in offense towards God. Where we, we in our own righteousness or self-righteousness look at God and go, how could you do this to me? Is this really what you have for me? Is this really where I'm supposed to go? And we start to become offended at God because of the things that are going on in our life, the afflictions that we're facing. And we take offense towards God instead of leaning into him. Now, there was lots of prophecies that were spoken about Jesus. There's one, though, that is really pertinent to what we're talking about today and why sometimes we can be offended by Jesus and by God at times. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 8, uh, 14 and 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. 
to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. Jesus, God, can both be either sanctuary or a stone of offense. Peter would speak of this in the New Testament as well, pulling that, that, uh, that, that from Isaiah and speaking to the new church. And he says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying uh, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, for whoever, the, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, again, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to do. Now here's the thing. I'm not really sure anyone can follow Jesus and not experience what we would call the dark night of the soul. Where what we're doing, what we're asked to do, God's desired direction for our lives leads us into a place that we don't want to be in our own strength. That we don't want to go to in our own natural flesh because it's not comfortable. It may not be prison like John, but it may be in a place where, where it's not comfortable, where God has called us to live in such a way, act in such a way, say something that puts us in a place that is not good, that feels like it's not good. Or maybe there's just life circumstances that are beyond our control where we look at it and go, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for my marriage to be like. This is not what I, I signed up for my job to be like or for my, my relationship with my kids to be like. This is not what I signed up for anything of this to be like. And we stumble potentially on God thinking that he's this rock of offense instead of seeing him as a sanctuary where you have this option of him being a sanctuary or a stumbling block, a season where your faith is tested, a trial that seems to come a few sizes too big. Listen to what what it says in Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus answered them. This is going back to what what, uh, John's question was. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Often the kingdom that Jesus brings doesn't look the way we want it to the desired direction that Jesus was heading in to usher in this new kingdom didn't look the way they thought it might. And in doing so, when we look at it and we want to control the situation and we want to be in control of the direction of how we get to the kingdom of God, it can leave us offended that God didn't choose the same route that we chose. And the route we chose was full of potholes and bumps or we're hitting curbs or we're, we're off-roading in places that we should never have been. And we're offended that our path 
doesn't look the way we thought it should or that God isn't allowing for our road to be made smooth right in front of us. The antidote to this type of affliction is simple to articulate, but it's so hard to actually live out sometimes. Do I trust God is who he says he is, or does my doubt deconstruct my belief in Jesus? Do I trust him to be who he says he is, or will I allow my doubt to deconstruct who I know him to be? Because here's what's true about that offense, about stumbling on Jesus rather than finding sanctuary in him. A statement of offense doesn't speak to uh, the situation about its truth or, or falsehood. It doesn't speak to that. What it speaks to is an emotion and a belief we have about it. But it doesn't actually speak to the truth of a situation. John's stuck in prison. He's a, he knows he's about to see his fate sealed. His life is, is virtually over. And yet he's wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? The very one that from an infant in his mother's womb, he leapt in the presence of Jesus. From, from knowing all that and living a life totally dedicated to following Jesus and preparing the way for him, he's in this moment of crisis going, are you the one? Or are we supposed to wait for another? He's, he was letting doubt creep in. And we can do that, can't we? We can deconstruct our belief and faith in Jesus when our doubts seem to take over. So what can we do with the afflictions that challenge the alignment of our hearts? Number one, we can reassert our trust in God. When those moments come, when, when doubt starts to creep in, we have a choice. Do we entertain those thoughts of doubt or do we double down on our trust in God? And this isn't a blind trust as far as like, like being ridiculous about it, saying like, I don't need a mask on. COVID stuff isn't going to bother me. I'm fine because I'm just doubling down that God can do, God can keep me safe and he's going to be my bubble around me. Now, we don't need to be unwise because there's nothing in Scripture that says we should live like that. Yet when there's, there's things that hit us and there's moments that hit us in life where the d- direction that God's leading us in seems like it's, it's not going to be comfortable, we can reassert our trust in God. And we can do that by, number two, reminding ourselves who God is and what he has done in the past. Remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done in the past. And you know why we do that? Because it will build your faith for working through the affliction that you face. Because you'll look back and you'll see what God has done in your life in the past. You'll look back in the Bible and see how he has been there and helped so many others through the afflictions that they faced. And you see how God is faithful through it all, even when they didn't see it. You read in Hebrews in chapter 11, the the hall of faith, and you see how many people put their faith in God, even though they could not see God's salvation in that moment. You see it and it helps you and it builds up your faith and says, I don't even know if I'm going to see the answer to my prayer, but I'm going to continue praying and I'm going to continue living it because I know who God is. I see his track record. He's perfect in living out who he is in his character in people's lives, and I'm going to bank on that. And when we do, it helps us face the afflictions that we're going through. 
And what it also does is number three, it helps us respond with offering worship instead of offense. We can offer worship to God instead of being offended at him. And when we, in the middle of our affliction, can say, God, in the midst of this, you are still on the throne. God, in the midst of what I'm going through, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to see who you are. I'm going to declare who you are. I'm going to allow that faith to rise up within me so that I can live in the protection and in sanctuary of who you are. Remember, affection seeks to align our hearts with indifference towards God, pulling us away from God's intended direction for our lives and our hearts. Affliction seeks to align our hearts in offense towards God. Is your heart this morning being pulled and wooed by your, your uh, affections? Are there things in your life, are there moments, are there ideals, are there, uh, is there a way of living, a standard of living, a, a lifestyle, a whatever, a hobby, things that are desirable to you that are taking you slowly off course from where God wants you to go? In affliction, are you being offended by God? These are questions that we can wrestle with. Like I said earlier, when you're driving your car, sometimes because of its incremental nature or, or the way that your alignment gets off, it's not like you just hit one bump and all of a sudden your tires now sit like this when you're trying to go forward, unless it's a really big bump. But unless, you know, usually you, you, maybe you hit a curb, you're, you're trying to go about a roundabout or you're, you're, you're trying to turn a corner and the snowbank's there and you think it's just slush and all of a sudden, bang, you hit that curb and you're like, ooh. And, and it, it takes a couple of those knocks or whatever before you really notice that your alignment is off. And you may not even know it because you just get used to kind of holding your steering wheel a little askew. And it's not until you take your hands off of it and all of a sudden you see it veering towards the side of the road or the middle of the road and you're like, whoa, get back on track. You don't even notice it. Maybe today you haven't done any real self-introspective awareness looking. You haven't taken your wheel, your hands off the wheel of your heart. You haven't let go and let God to see if you're actually being led by him or whether it was you veering it off and taking the alignment off course in your life. Maybe this morning you need to do that. This week I've been doing that and looking at my life and saying, God, how have I been misaligned? How have I, how's my alignment in my heart gotten off course from you? And we just Take your hands off the wheel for a second and say, God, show me if I'm actually going in your intended direction. Today, may the alignment of your heart not be set by desired direction, but by the intended direction. May the affections and the afflictions of your heart bring you to find in Jesus sanctuary and not a stumbling block. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for the sanctuary that you are in our lives. 
We thank you that you loved us before we even knew you. You loved us when we were far from you. You loved us when our alignment with your intended purpose for our lives, your intended direction for our lives, didn't even exist in our, our thoughts or our hearts. But you, God, you had it. You knew it. You, you saw what we could be when we embraced you and your path for our lives, when we embraced your forgiveness your redemption, your salvation. God, help us to stay aligned with you today. God, help us to look at our hearts and see whether we have allowed our affections to take us off course. Whether the afflictions of our heart have, have bumped us and knocked us and, and jarred us away from your intended purpose. God, help us to realign ourselves. Help us to let you bring us back into alignment and straighten us back out for your intended direction for our hearts. And God, I just pray for anyone who may be watching or listening this morning, God, that if they have never allowed you to have that alignment in their hearts. They've never aligned themselves with your preferred future for them. They've never asked you to really guide them in all truth. God, may this morning, this, this moment as they listen, may they turn control over to you and ask you for that forgiveness, ask you for that leading and guiding in their lives, to be Lord of their lives. But God, we want to be able to be aligned with who you are. As a church here in Cornwall, God, we want to be aligned together with your preferred future for us, your preferred future for Cornwall. God, we, we're fasting and we're praying in this season to be unified in who we are with who you are. Not just that we would be unified together, but that we would be one in you. We would have our sanctuary in you. And God, our, our hearts would be one and aligned with your desired direction, your intended direction for our lives. That as a church, there would be no affliction or affection that would take us out of alignment with who you are and where you are going here in Cornwall. God, may you keep us in alignment. May you truly be our sanctuary. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.